You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Everyone is facing these huge, life-changing moments. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. I think it really is important for folks to reach out to people so they can know that they're not alone. We don't know how long all this is going to go on for. And from an emotional standpoint, psychologically, that's a really difficult, difficult thing to grapple with. This is KCBS In-Depth. Another start to fire season, another reminder that we are living in a new, far more destructive normal. But California is, of course, no stranger to fires. In fact, if you go back far enough, the state's annual wildfires likely burned far more broadly than they do even today. So how did our current fire disasters become so disastrous? I'm Keith Menconi. This is KCBS In-Depth, and today on the program... We'll discuss why the new normal is the result of some pretty abnormal fire practices in California and what it might take to bring our wildland back to a more natural, fire-resilient state. For that conversation, we're joined now by Bill Stewart. He is a forestry specialist with UC Berkeley and also the co-director of Berkeley Forests. Bill Stewart, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Thank you, Keith. Also joined by Malcolm North. He is a forest ecologist with the U.S. Forest Service and a professor at UC Davis. Malcolm North, welcome as well. All right. Thanks for having me, Keith. So there's just a little bit of recent news to highlight on this front. California actually just signed an agreement with the federal government in which both sides plan to thin out millions of acres of wildland vegetation in the coming years, planning to use a combination of clearing, logging, prescribed burns. So uh, I'm hoping to dig a little bit more into the specifics of that plan a little bit later and talk about what it could or maybe won't accomplish. But Right off the bat, uh, Malcolm North, uh, it seems like this plan is a recognition that our current wildlands, the way they are right now, they're just they're they're too dense. And that is a big part of California's fire problems right now. No. Um, Yeah, um, that's generally correct. But there's a little bit of a nuance to it in that I think California has um, at least two fire problems and they have different causes and different potential solutions. Um, One of them we're pretty familiar with, which is the forest-based fire problem in which uh, about a century of fire suppression has really contributed to heavy fuel loading in that forest, which makes it really difficult to deal with the fires. Uh, When you get an ignition, they tend to be really severe fires that escape initial suppression efforts. Um, But the other fire problem we've seen for years in Southern California, and now we're seeing much more of it in in Central and Northern California, which is fire burning in in chaparral systems and in oak woodlands, um, in which fuel loading is uh, part of the problem, but a lot of it is uh, we're getting ignitions um, in a time of year in which you would have either had wetter conditions um, or you would have had some ability to control the fire. Um, And those kind of fires, which are frankly the most destructive in terms of structures and human casualties, are a different beast than the fire problem we have in the forest. So what you're pointing to is the complexity of the the many different factors that are contributing to our most recent destructive fires. I mean, we should also flag the fact that uh, PG&E it's, has its own aging equipment that is sparking a lot of fires, uh, contributing to some of the things that you were just talking about a moment ago. Uh, you also have homes being built out in areas where they did not used to be built out, creating new fire risks, new areas that we do not want to burn that probably once did burn 
just as a natural course of the uh, annual progression. Uh, Bill Stewart uh, with UC Berkeley, I, I suppose as we try to sort through all these different factors and how they all add together, I mean, we could add to the list as well, uh, climate change. Where do you come down as in terms of how heavily we should weight this fuel management problem? Well, I think clearly we're seeing um, the increased amount of fires we're having in California is the fact of having heavy and continuous fuel loads across all sorts of vegetation types. But I think it's also important to remember that when you look in the last 20 years, of all the acres that are burning, only about 20% of those acres actually occur in managed forests. The other 80% are in what Malcolm talked about, in chaparral and grasslands and shrublands and woodlands. And so the the focus on forest management as a solution, that's only really gonna address 20% of what's what's happening. And so those other areas are gonna require a, a very different mix of, of activities to break up um, the continuity of that fuel somehow, maybe with prescribed burning or, or other things like that. Um, so we don't have as much of that going on at the same time. So I think that's important to see there are really lots of things can catch fire in California. Uh, Bill Stewart, sticking with you, walk us through the the history. Uh, obviously, the, the fire ecology in California, you go back 150, 200 years ago, it looked quite a bit different. Tell us a little bit about what it used to be like, uh, or an, our understanding of what it used to be like, and how things have changed. Well, you know, since we have the historical record, we do have record, uh, probably the best inventory in 1900, uh, a little 120 years ago, you know, fires were much more common um, in California. And so the, both the forest as well as the chaparral and the woodlands were not as continuous uh, fuel covers, whether it's in public ownership or in private ownership. And we really, since that time, we've had, you know, there's in many of these uh, chaparral and grassland systems, there's probably less grazing going on and forest areas there's been less harvesting. So we have basically just a lot more fuel across the landscape as well as having very, uh, very large fire suppression agencies with uh, that have lots of people and lots of machinery that have put out lots of fires over time. And so many areas um, were having that problem that we just essentially just left more and more fuel on the landscape um, that are now, uh, especially in these hotter and windier conditions are escaping all the resources we try to put on it for week, for weeks on end, as we're seeing right now. I believe it uh, was uh, one of your colleagues at UC Berkeley, Scott Stevens. Uh, his his estimates put the number of acres burned at California before the gold rush in the millions, and uh, also his estimates also put in the, the mid-20th century, perhaps when we saw uh, the lowest levels of burning in the mere hundreds of thousands of acres. Does that sound about right to you? Yes, I think before we really had significant fire suppression once fires started in the mediterranean climate in the summer they could burn essentially until it uh, rained or snowed in the fall and so that when you think through the math of that it's clearly going to be potentially millions of acres every year and what what is the consequence of that uh, i mean if if it's on such a, a larger scale than we have now uh, that that does seem like that will change the way that california's fire ecology and, and broader ecology works in a pretty fundamental way yeah, if we went back to that system of the kind of the natural fire ecosystem, especially in Southern California, we would have a very, very different uh, environment for the you know the 40 million people that live in California, and that's um, that would be a huge cha- challenge. I don't think we could have we'd have a lot more people uh, living like we are in the Bay Area now under continuous smoke and and the related health issues of that. So that having the pure going back to that 
type of system um, would carry a lot of other risks now that we have 40 million people living in California. Mm. All right. So it sounds like whatever path we find forward, it's going to be complicated and somewhat fraught. Let's get into that complexity in just a moment. But first, I want to remind listeners that this is KCBS In-Depth, our weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Manconi. Today, we're discussing fire management in the Golden State, how things have gone so wrong and what can be done to get back on track. Joining us, we're speaking with Bill Stewart, a forestry specialist with UC Berkeley and the co-director of Berkeley Forests, as well as Malcolm North, a forest ecologist with the U.S. Forest Service and a professor at UC Davis. Uh, sticking with you, Bill Stewart, for just a second. So we flagged a moment ago this agreement between uh, California and the federal governments aiming to clear or uh, at least thin out uh, millions of acres of vegetation in the coming years. What are your thoughts on the direction of that agreement uh, and uh, how much it really could accomplish? It looks like uh, most immediately we're looking at uh, a goal of about a million acres per year for the next five years. Yeah, it sets a very high goal of, of doing uh, fuels treatment across the state for, on both the federal land, which is about half the state, and on private land. Um, but in some ways it is an aspirational agreement because if we do it by, well, the experience is if we do it in small projects that require lots of planning, uh, right now we might only be doing maybe 50 to 100,000 acres per year of treatment. So to really achieve that larger goal of uh, doing that, it's going to have to involve so that the basic, the standard land management practices that aren't funded by government uh, projects are going to have to be part of the solution. And that's going to be going to require a little bit more creativity um, on everybody's part, not just uh, government agencies, but also the land managers uh, side. And, and so it's just this patchwork of ownership. I mean, has that been a challenge historically, getting these uh, projects off the ground that uh, different people have uh, owned different bits of this and different people obviously will have different interests? Well, in some ways, the patchwork, in some ways, it w- is what we want. We want a vegetation patchwork. So we have, if we're going to have, we don't have the same level of fuels everywhere. You're going to have areas that are low fuel areas, uh, whether that's going to be from from grazing, from irrigating, or from actually doing more timber management and following that up with maybe broadcast burning. But we're going to have to have a pattern on the landscape that doesn't allow the fire to just have a continuous fuel bed um, so that it can burn for weeks and weeks and weeks. And that. Uh, but that, you're right. The challenge of that, because of the different ownerships, we're not just going to have one nice plan that's going to cover all of Northern California. It's going to have to have that everybody that owns land, uh, that the plan actually figures out and works with them, but probably isn't able to direct or basically pay for projects on everybody's land. There just isn't enough money in the state budget. Um, to accomplish that goal. Speaking once again uh, with Bill Stewart with UC Berkeley, turning over now to Malcolm North uh, with UC Davis. You know, uh, lawmakers recently, uh, just towards the close of the state lawmaking session, they were trying to pass extra funding for fire management, about $500 million. Uh, didn't quite get off the ground, but obviously there is a, a wider and wider recognition that more resources need to be put to this, or at least new ideas need to be put in the mix. Uh, Malcolm North, we've heard a lot about the complexities, a lot about the challenges if uh, if you had your magic wand, what would California's f- better fire management program look like in the coming years? Uh, it's a great question. Uh, it's probably good I don't have the magic wand. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think one thing that, that Bill was touching on, which is important to keep in mind, is that um, it's not a question of if you'll get fire in California. It's just a question of when. 
And to really be effective at the dealing, being able to deal with the inevitable fire, you have to somehow be able to consolidate your treatments. Um, and as, as Bill was mentioning, we have a patchwork of ownerships and constraints in different areas, which has always made it difficult for us to kind of block together these treatments so that they actually can slow fire down or you know contain fire. And the other part of this equation that's making this so difficult is if we continue to suppress and put fire out all the time, the fires that actually end up burning across the landscape, which are really only about two or 3% of the ignitions you get, they still account for 95% of the acreage that burns, but they are escaping under high wind conditions, hot temperatures, low humidity. And at that point, you know, if you put a 40 acre treatment into a forest is just going to get blown through when a fire like that comes through it. So to my mind, one of the things I would want to do if I had that magic wand is create incentives for consolidating these treatments into large blocks that might actually be effective at dealing with both fire and the increasing mortality we get from drought events. Um, but having a whole bunch of 40 acre treatments spread out across the landscape in the end doesn't do you much good when you have fire of the magnitude that we're getting these days. Has a, and let's uh, actually, this will be a question I want to put to both of you, but uh, we can uh, start with uh, Malcolm North with UC Davis. Has a fear of fire on some level made it more difficult to burn as uh, as as broadly as we should. I mean, we've already discussed the the smoke dangers. There's also uh, lots of property that uh, potentially could uh, go up in smoke as well. So has has the unpredictability of fire and just the apprehension to uh, use fire as a tool, has that made us more reluctant to use this tool than maybe we should have been, Malcolm North? Uh, Definitely. I mean, you know, the problem is we have kind of a selection bias here and that most of the fire that people are familiar with that they see is often on the evening news and it's of this really catastrophic nature of fire uh, in contrast to like the southeastern part of the United States that's very uh, actively burns a substantial portion of of their forests every year. And uh, the culture's developed with that and people are much more comfortable with seeing fire used on the landscape. Um, But when the fire that you mostly see is the kind that's uh, burning up homes and uh, chasing people out of neighborhoods, there's understandably a lot of reticence about putting more fire onto the landscape if that's what you're used to picturing fire doing. Mm. All right. Well, I, w- I want to turn things back over to uh, Bill Stewart. And I know that a big part of your work has been studying the relationship between uh, industry and fire suppression. Uh, and obviously, there's just going to be uh, whatever solution we're going to find, there's going to be a lot of different people doing the work. So wondering if you could share whatever insights uh, you have about what role you know, private industry could play in all this? Well, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I've done a lot of work looking at empirically to really what the big timber companies have been doing to manage their land, because these these large and hot fires we're having now are burning up a lot of what they were hoping to generate for revenue. But, you know, they typically, the private lands have about half as many trees, how much as tree volume per acre as the forest service. So they've already thinned out their forests. But, um, you know, what they have lost 
in when I started my career, a lot of they did do a lot what they call broadcast burning, where they did essentially burning after they did their timber harvest to reduce a lot of the fuels. We've kind of stopped doing that. They've, for a variety of regulatory reasons, they've stopped doing broadcast burning. And that was actually some of the, you know, in terms of acres where the fuel's been removed was the most common way that we did reduce fuels across California. And I think we need to really look back um, at, is there a way to integrate fire as kind of a normal part, as Malcolm pointed out in the Southeast, using fire as a normal part of forest management rather than an exception that requires seven permits and three years of planning. Um, this is the same issue that's in British Columbia. They're looking at reintroducing, you know, large-scale broadcast burning back into their dry forests because they've had very similar, very large fires. And they also had stopped using fire as a normal practice. And now they're saying maybe we ought to bring it back um, because what we're having now is just, it's very serious when these fires catch and they burn for now weeks um, because there's just an endless continuous level of fuel across many of these forest areas. All right. A lot of uh, topics to pick up right there. Real quick, I want to remind listeners one last time that they are listening to KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Manconi. Today on the program, we're turning to nature for some clues as to how California's fire season got so destructive and what could be done to make things better. For that, we're joined now by Bill Stewart. He's a forestry specialist with UC Berkeley and the co-director of Berkeley Forests. Also joined by Malcolm North, a forest ecologist with the U.S. Forest Service and a professor at UC Davis. Uh, Sticking with you, Bill Stewart. uh, So... A lot of these issues, uh, I mean, it's uh, it's it's they get complicated because there are many different takes on how this land should be used. And there's uh, many of different uh, interests in the mix. And I think that we've seen a number of different cases where uh, either environmental groups or uh, private uh, landowners have had different ideas about how this should be approached. And uh, in, in particular, environmentalists who uh, say, you know, it, it, it's not always predictable how the land will react when it's treated in certain ways. Uh, so it, how, how well do we understand the science of uh, forestry to say, you know, if, if the fire is used in this way, the forest will react in a way that we can expect? Uh, and how much of this is uh, still somewhat mysterious? Are, are, the, um, are, are the environmentalists that are somewhat suspicious of, you know, any, any project that involves a dollar sign in it, uh, is there something to their concerns? Well, I think it, it's less the you know, fact that if revenue is going to be generated from projects is that they're, you know, when you inter- do anything in the forest, whether you put fires on there, whether you do timber harvesting, whether you do grazing, there's going to be impacts to water, to wildlife, to vegetation. And, you know, historically, I think we took, you know, the last 40 years, a much more uh, precautionary approach to doing anything on the landscape. But now we're starting to see, especially with the climate change and warmer weather, that what was maybe a better outcome environmentally, that vegetation, when it becomes dry, becomes a fuel for which are now very destructive fires, that those fires didn't have to get any permits or any planning. And that's how we're going to weigh these increasing risks of fire with trying to protect uh, kind of our historic environmental protection approach. That's kind of uh, looking forward is, is a, is a big challenge. And, you know, the solution we did 20 years ago probably is not going to give us the right outcome in an area where we have hotter and drier uh, weather for, for months on end. Yeah, I'm thinking of, in particular of the controversy over the 2013 Rim Fire and the, uh, the, the burned out 
areas that are, are a result of that. Uh, some some environmentalists on the one hand uh, saying that that land should be allowed to regrow and they expect it to regrow and others saying, you know, that should be logged and uh, and, and treated a little bit more more forcefully. Uh, so I, I guess, you know, I'm not up enough on the science to really sort through all of that argument. But I, what it just says to me is that uh, the science is complicated and, and it's a little bit difficult to know what to do with this land at, at all times. Uh, what's, uh, w- w- what's your take, Bill Stewart? Well, yeah, I think, you know, we did have a very large controversy there on the Rimfire, what to do with those areas. We're always going to have controversy because we're doing kind of new techniques. So I think what we do need to do is really, okay, there's two different schools of thought on this. Let's actually do some really large scale experiments. Let's do 100,000 acres in this way and 100,000 acres that way and 100,000 acres in another option and see where they go. Because right now we're still arguing lots of what ifs. Um, but, you know, we do see this pattern across many fires you've had in California. The fire burns through an area. It kills lots of trees. And then 10 years later, that same area catches on fire because the trees that are still there are the dead, dry fuel for the next fire. So I think we do need... Um, some new approaches out there, but we're not, we can't just look to the past because, oh, this is really going to work. That's not going to work because clearly with warmer weather, uh, the fires are going to be more intense uh, now than they were 20, 30, 40 years ago. And that does make it very difficult to use historical facts um, as kind of the best predictor of where we're going to be going in the future. Mm. All right. Well, we only have a few minutes left in the conversation, and I want to close things out with a little bit of forward-looking perspective. And we'll start with you, Malcolm North, uh, with UC Davis. If you know, I, I think just given the role of climate change, all of these trends are expected to only be compounded in the coming years. And we really probably haven't talked about the role of climate change enough yet in this conversation. What What is your perspective on what climate change will mean uh, for California's fire ecology and how that could make things work and how we should respond? Yeah, it's a great question with a lot of unknowns. Um, I I think that in forest systems, um, it's pretty clear already that climate change is extending the season of fires. I mean, we almost have year-round forest fires now, um, simply because the fuels are dried out and the opportunities for ignition are, are there given how warm it is. Um, and the lower humidities. Um, In the other fire system we talked about, the Chaparral Oak Woodlands, um, that is definitely got a pretty strong uh, imprint of climate change on it because some of these fires like the uh, the campfire that incinerated, um, unfortunately incinerated paradise, that was happening in a time of year, December, in which normally those fuels would be wet. And uh, that's definitely a situation in which climate change has dramatically altered the timing and the nature of fire within these chaparral systems. Um, So frankly, I I think the bottom line is we're going to have fire one way or another, and we do much better if we were calling the shots on when some of that fire happened and under what type of conditions. At least then we could um, get the wind blowing in the right direction to keep the smoke away from urban areas and give people warnings when it's going to happen. Right now, you know, uh, the tail is wagging the dog and we are in a tough situation as long as we try to continue putting out all these fires with climate change in the background, pushing them to become more frequent and more intense. Do you think ultimately 
uh, Cal Fire and other fire agencies may need to get less aggressive with their fire suppression efforts and be a little bit more selective about what they allow to burn? There are places where you have to be aggressive with fire suppression, particularly in the areas we call the WUI, the wildland urban interface, where you're trying to protect homes. But certainly a, a step that I think a lot of scientists and, and a number of managers would support is identifying areas in which they're further from homes, they're more remote, and getting ignitions, whether they're natural lightning ignitions or prescribed fire, to reduce the fuels on those landscapes would be a huge help. So we have to start learning to live with fire rather than always with the smoky bear approach putting it out. All right. So uh, turning things back, closing thoughts uh, for you, Bill Stewart. We've been talking so much about all these uh, different approaches that we might be able to take to uh, address these fire risks, these growing fire risks that California is experiencing. Do you have the sense that we are going to be able to achieve the, the scale that we need to achieve? I mean, we're talking about millions of acres every year, especially, you know, with this agreement between California and the federal government. Millions of acres, that's, uh, that's an awful lot of space. Do, are, are we, uh, is, is it reasonable to think that we're going to get anywhere approaching that scale? Well, I think we, it's important to, valuable to look at kind of some of the experiences, some of the various land managers that have taken different approaches towards fuels and fire. For instance, in my view, the national park system has really been doing reintroducing fire into their landscapes for the last 50 years and have actually created that much more resilient landscape to really severe fires burning through there. They burn through, but they don't burn at high intensity. On the other side, some of the big timber companies have already done a lot of thinning, know how to do broadcast burning and treatments and fuel breaks. And I think we need to look at from some of those different approaches what can we learn from some of those different groups get them together and get people from different sides of you know what are types of big experiments you want to do rather than small projects because i think with millions of acres we can't just spend three years planning a three thousand acre project we have to actually apply some pretty change really kind of the standard practices that are used by different landowners um but it does require it's going to take chipping away at it, but we're going to have to chip out away in, in basically best practices um, applied to large ownerships rather than individual projects. Uh, closing thoughts, are you hopeful? I think we're going to make progress, but I do think we're going to see, um, unfortunately, we've been seeing, especially around the, the Bay Area, I think we're going to see more smoke and more fire because they're putting a lot of resources on these fires and they've had a hard time putting them out. So I, unfortunately, I think we're going to start to see these big fires around the Bay area burning in areas that aren't forests. These are shrubland systems, grasslands and woodlands, but they, you know, they're even with all the bulldozers and aircraft and people, um, they're still burning. And I, and, you know, unfortunately we're going to, I think start to see more of these, not every year, but, in a decade, there's going to be more and more fires in the Bay Area. We're going to start to feel like Southern California. All right. Well, it's a sobering, bracing perspective right there. We're going to have to round it out, though. We have been speaking to Bill Stewart. He's a forestry specialist with UC Berkeley and the co-director of Berkeley Forest. Bill Stewart, thanks once again for being on KCBS In-Depth. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Keith. Also speaking with Malcolm North, a forest ecologist with the U.S. Forest Service and a professor at UC Davis. Malcolm North, thanks to you as well. Thank you for having me, Keith. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Manconi. Stay safe, be well. We'll see you next time. 
You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS.